This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Conrad Black joins us Fridays at this time, the noted author, commentator, and historian. And it's a darn good thing because there are questions beyond my realm to comprehend or even address. But uh, that's why we get him in here. And Conrad, a good afternoon to you. A good afternoon to you, John. But you mustn't be so self uh diminishing. Well, I guess in the We're con- not conducting a tutorial here. We're just <laughs> having a chat between friends. Well, all right. Uh, but you know, I always take it as a lesson to be learned uh, when I'm in your wake here. So, Conrad, you know, this thing that's happened down in New Zealand, I mean, right now it's being couched as uh, white nationalist extremism. Uh, there has been some hint that this guy was, you know, inspired by Trump. I don't know how real or... No, know. that's outrageous. That's Senator Blumenthal, the man who Trump refers to as Danang Dick because he completely invented the claim that he was uh, in combat in Vietnam and he never set foot in Vietnam. But uh, I mean, to, to blame to blame Trump for that is is I have to say about the most outrageous of all the de- defamatory actions that Trump has endured. I'm no whitewasher of Trump's gaucheries, but accusing him of having anything to do with inciting violence like that in a house of worship against Muslims is simply outrageous. Yeah, and he's a senator from Connecticut, it should be pointed out. By the way, so but the sense, you know, of extremism rearing its head, whatever the impetus, I mean, in this case, you know, uh, it's, I guess, anti-immigrant or virulent uh, Islamophobia. Do you think there's a cultural civil war taking place now in the free world? Uh, not exactly, but uh, you see, I, I have to say I don't know anything about the perpetrator. Look, obviously, it was a, a horrible and evil thing that happened. That goes practically without saying. Uh, Is the death toll steady at 49, or has it risen from there? No, as far as I know, it stays steady at 49. It's it's a horrible thing, but uh, the Christians are the chief religious victims in the world, and and the, the number of atrocities committed against Christians all over large swaths of the world, including countries that we have extensive dealings with, such as China, uh, it is absolutely shocking, and I don't know, obviously, anything about the motives of the perpetrator, in this case in New Zealand, and anyone who does a thing like that in a civilized democratic country like New Zealand is insane to begin with, criminally insane. But but uh, no matter who the victims are, what what the so-called motivation is, but the uh, the fact is, to some degree, if you oppress people long enough, uh, you will get retaliation, and and if the if the Islamist militants go on, uh, and this isn't the case in China, there it's a secular oppression, but there is a great deal of Islamic abuse and oppression of Christianity in in the Middle East and in Indonesia and the Philippines, even in the Philippines as a as a majority Christian country. Uh, if, if that goes on, you will get retaliation. Now I have no standing to say whether that's a factor in this case in New Zealand or not. But no, I don't think we're at a cultural war, but I think we're, we're at a position where uh, the, the, the totality of Islam is infested to a degree with these extremists. I'm, I'm sure they're a minority, or things would be a great deal more violent than they are. But this guy was a white nationalist. Yeah, yeah I, I understand that, but I, I believe that as long, until the... Islamist provocations against minorities where the Islamists are the majority uh, abate, you, you are going to get a reactive force. This is not, this is not in any sense a, a whitewash of it or a 
my condoning it. I don't condone it. I condemn it, as you do, as all our, your listeners do. But you're going to get a reactive force. I mean, if you, if you oppress Christians, some Christians are going to respond to it. Now, um, I don't think that's a civil war, because I think, in general, the extremists in Islam are losing ground, not gaining ground. And, and while these white supremacists are around, they are a tiny minority in, in all white countries. Tiny minority. I mean, in the United States of 330 million people, you have apparently a few thousand Nazis and Q Klansmen, and, and, and probably rather more than that of like-minded people, but still a tiny number of people that, that while each incident they cause is a tragedy, is in statistical terms very small. So what you're saying is uh, if there's a root cause to this particular extremism that meted, uh, was meted out in, uh, in New Zealand, uh, it's a cause and effect kind of a thing, a reaction to uh, something that was seen to be outrageous, perpetrated against Christians and well, so on well, and so on? I, I assume that white supremacists who have recourse to violence in their own, I mean, as I say, they're, they're insane and evil to begin with, so I, let's have no mistake on that point, but that in their fevered minds, they imagine that they are responding to provocation because that uh, of cases we've seen like this. Well, I haven't made a detailed study of it. My impression is in in Britain, for example, and in, in other places in Europe, uh, that sort of thinking is in the minds of the people who do it. But uh, I, I I think it is not actually. Well, we could get a different uh, opinion at times. It's not actually a problem that's getting worse. I, I think, in general, the forces of extremism in Islam have retreated considerably from where they were at the height of al-Qaeda and ISIS and so forth. And yet hate crimes are on the rise, and uh, the primary victims seem to be Jews. I mean, anti-Semitic uh, hate crimes, this is statistically speaking, have spiked uh, here in Canada as well as in the United States. Why do you suppose that is? Well, I'm afraid that most of that is Islamist extremism. And, uh, is it? Uh, uh, well, you, well I, I can't speak with the authority of the head of the RCMP or something, but when you just you know, looking at the media, as we all do, my impression is that that is behind most of it. I mean, I don't, I don't think anti-Semitism in the traditional sort of Nazi sense is rising. I, I think what you get are, uh, is... Uh, Islamists perpetrate most of these things in Western countries, and the friction is at that level, and most of the offenses committed against them are some mixture of anti-Islam and anti-immigrant sentiment. But then you get a a mixing into it in Europe of all these uh, um, economic fears that the invasion of cheap labor is disrupting their society and enhancing... uh, or at least augmenting unemployment. You know, these are terribly complicated sociological things, but I think given that the West is a a democratic series, a series of democratic countries, and there are limits to how authoritarian we can get in terms of taking away civil liberties to prevent, uh, you know, to prevent acts of violence, we're not doing that badly. I mean, there are tragedies that happen. There are incompetent uh, activities that, that, that some police forces are guilty of. But in general, I, I don't think we're doing that badly. 
Well, I guess, you know, the old saw about eternal vigilance, the price we pay for our freedoms and our security, uh, that behooves us to maybe want to study this more closely or have uh, these groups like, you know, when the Klan was infiltrated by the FBI and some of these Klan meetings back in the 60s had more FBI agents undercover than actual members. It was like the old American Communist Party. And J. Edgar Hoover said most of the members were his, were his agents. <laughs> right. With Conrad Black. Let me just pivot to another point. I know you've been following this closely. This Brexit thing and Theresa May, uh, it seems like it's been made a hash of. Uh, is it dead on arrival now? Will uh, the UK ever exit the EU? I think it will. I think it will. Uh, I think that um, that resolution about not leaving without an agreement, it was a non-binding resolution. That isn't the law. It was just the sense of Parliament. And it wasn't by that large a majority. Um, and uh, I think that... I, I assume that the 27 other European countries will agree to a three-month extension. Um, but I think at the end of that, if they have not made the concessions that would uh, that would enable the British government to get a a compromise through the House of Commons in that country, uh, the Prime Minister will have no choice but to acquiesce in the departure of Britain from from Europe, the, the, in fact, the Brexit. Now, in doing so, it may be that, well, she's technically unassailable as leader of the Conservative Party under the constitution of that party, because she had a vote within her own caucus of MPs a, a couple of months ago, and that clears her for a year. I think she would have to retire, and there are precedents for that. For example, when Mr. Chamberlain, Neville Chamberlain, handed over to Mr. Churchill, Chamberlain continued as leader of the Conservative Party. Churchill assumed the prime, prime minister's office at the head of a national unity government, a coalition government. But, but Chamberlain was the leader of the majority party. Well, she could <clears throat> continue in something like that, but I don't think that she can, assuming we go through this last three-month thing and it doesn't actually produce a resolution uh, that enables Britain to continue to some degree within the EU, um, I think they have to leave, and 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 she may and and she may not wish to retire as party leader. Yeah, but if yeah. they don't leave, Conrad, I'm tight on time here. But if they don't leave, uh, what do you say to the 52 percent majority that voted to leave? I mean, I I, I, I say they they've been jobbed. They've been <laughs> they, they've absolutely, if you'll pardon my putting it this way, they've been screwed. And and Britain is a democracy, and I think that the obduracy of Brussels, contrary to what you get from the BBC and, and many media outlets, the, uh, has raised the Brexit vote, the vote to leave in Britain, not, not reduced it. And I think that in the end, the Conservatives will have a winning ticket. They've made a heroic effort to reach a compromise. They haven't reached it, so it's out. And <clears throat> the thing that I find astounding is that the president of the United States, Trump, is constantly saying publicly, the day you're out, we'll start negotiations and they'll go very quickly and smoothly for you to join a free trade agreement with us. And that's a better market for them. And because the Americans will not concede any sovereignty, they won't ask Britain to. So right. I mean, none of these ridiculous directives from Brussels. Right. Uh, being run by Eurocrats uh, in Brussels rather than uh, being a sovereign nation as they... Uh, they're have... telling people how to stack bananas in grocery stores and what size condoms they have to use. <laughs> Right, right. Uh, the greatest indignity of all, I guess. Rural Britannia. Thanks, Conrad, so much. Have a great weekend. The French are the smartest.
smartphones. So I don't pay any attention to any laws. Anyway. <laughs> Thanks, John. Right. Conrad Black, author, commentator, and historian. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 